Hello, I am Ariel Munafo. And I am Moshe Ferber. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast. The podcast about security engineering. Hello, everyone. Another episode of Silver Lining Podcast. And with me, as always, Moshe. How are you, Moshe? Very good, Ariel. It's been a long time. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. And uh, we have uh, today a uh, special guest. Jan Mikaelis. Yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, the last name uh, is uh, very hard to pronounce. Uh, say it uh, for us, Jan. Jan Michalewski. Michalewski, okay. So I'm actually pretty excited today because we are going to talk about confidential computing. And I think that confidential computing is one of the more interesting technologies that we will see in the next couple of years. And we, this is, I think, the first time we are really diving in, into this subject. Uh, so uh, I'm really uh, looking forward for this episode. But first of all, uh, Jan, can you please introduce yourself and what you're doing and introduce uh, Anjuna? Uh, yes, definitely. So thanks a lot for uh, hosting me at the podcast. Uh, it's really exciting and uh, uh, even more exciting to see that uh, there is uh, such interest in confidential computing, which is a pretty uh, new domain and that um, um, essentially uh, people uh, from uh, cloud security are uh, actively starting to look into it and uh, um, are interested in the applications of that. So um, yeah, for me, it's uh, definitely excited, uh, exciting to see this progress in the market and uh, uh, in the community. Uh, so just a little bit about myself. Um, I'm Jan Michalewski. I'm uh, the CTO and co-founder of uh, Anjuna, and we're an enterprise security company. Uh, in terms of my background, I started um, in uh, software engineering um, close to 20 years ago, um, starting as a developer and then a software architect. And uh, I had uh, an opportunity to work at a couple of startups in Israel and uh, lead the engineering teams. Um, and then I moved to the Silicon Valley about uh, nine years ago. Uh, initially, uh, I moved here uh, to do my PhD at uh, Stanford University. Uh, where I was uh, focusing on applied security and privacy, uh, being advised by Professor Dan Bonnet, uh, who's a big name in uh, cryptography. And after finishing that, uh, end of uh, 2017, uh, I decided to pursue one of the things that I was uh, actively looking into um, as part of my PhD, which was uh, trusted execution environments. Um, and more generally, uh, what's called today uh, confidential computing, and essentially start a company to productize uh, some of the uh, directions I was looking into back at the time. So that's a little bit. That's a little bit about myself. Um, about Anjuna, tell us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So um, Anjuna is a startup um, that. Um, um, uh, that was started uh, uh, in the beginning of uh, 2018. Um, once uh, uh, once Eyal Yugev, uh, my partner and CEO, and I joined forces uh, after my, me finishing the PhD. And essentially, we were looking to make this new and exciting technology of uh, secure enclave as uh, secure enclaves, trusted execution environments, and confidential computing easy to use. 
Um, back then, by the way, nobody was really using the term confidential computing. Um, uh, people were talking more about uh, trusted execution environments uh, or what's called the TEEs and uh, secure enclaves. And we realized that it's a new uh, and exciting technology that can be transformational to generally the world of security, in particular to cloud security and uh, data center security. Um, but we saw that it's uh, essentially very hard to adapt as ease uh, because of uh, the kind of the engineering uh, complexity um, involved. And we were looking to create a product that would make it uh, very simple to use, uh, especially for enterprise uh, customers that uh, want to take their existing applications, uh, whether it's legacy applications or uh, applica new applications they're, uh, they're developing, and essentially without uh, any engineering effort to take advantage of confidential computing to protect uh, um, very private and sensitive data that's uh, handled by those applications. Okay, so I think the most important question right now is, what? where did you get the name Anjuna? It sounds Indian. Uh, definitely, yeah, it's actually Indian. So <laughs> it's, uh, um, it's funny. So Anjuna, it's, uh, it's a coast uh, town in uh, Goa, in India. Um, it's a really nice place. Uh, and in addition, in Sanskrit, it means uh, bliss. So we kind of decided it's going to be the bliss of uh, simple and easy security. Um, but uh, yeah, the story around that uh, was that uh, we had at some point to incorporate uh, and pretty quickly decide on a name. So uh, uh, looking at uh, uh, different possible uh, mythologies uh, to pick a name from, uh, all the Greek mythology um, originated names are basically taken by security companies, <laughs> like the Shield of Zeus and uh, something else, uh, whatever. Everything is taken. So many security companies, uh, they just, uh, uh, you know, um, so you had they to name, name something after everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then, I, the, yeah, then uh, I started uh, looking into Hindu mythology. There's a god called Arjuna, and then it sounded like Arjuna, which is a town that's close to my heart because I've been there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how it came it came to be. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a nice uh, god touch to the uh, to the atmosphere. Okay, so I think after we sorted this one out, the second important question is I think we need to define once and for all what is confidential computing and with your help, please. Uh, definitely. So, so yeah, so confidential computing is uh, pretty much, as the name suggests, is the ability to compute confidentially. Um, what does it mean? It's basically the ability to compute over data um, while keeping the and protecting the data confidentiality. And it can be done in different ways. So it's kind of an umbrella name to different, uh, to various techniques uh, that exist today to, uh, to do that, to compute on uh, very sensitive information uh, without uh, exposing or without uh, compromising the confidentiality of this information. Um, and today it encompasses a couple of uh, technologies uh, as a term. So it, uh, it can refer to things like trusted execution environments or TEs or uh, secure enclaves, uh, or it can refer to cryptographic techniques such as uh, uh, homomorphic encryption or uh, multi-party computation. So it's basically this, uh, this general area of uh, confidentially computing over data. Okay, so uh, to my understanding, in order to perform con confidential computing, the first thing you need is the hardware, right? We're talking about 
hardware that is created for convenient computing, where you have some kind of hardware enclave to store your keys. Is that correct? So that, that's one option. So so yeah. So as I said, it's a it's a name for a couple of techniques. There are also cryptographic techniques that don't require special hardware, and that's their advantage. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, they have uh, all kind of uh, limitations, uh, especially around the performance and also around ease of use, and uh, some limitations around the kinds of computations uh, you can nowadays uh, perform with uh, those cryptographic techniques. Uh, so we'll dive into it. Um, I think we should uh, probably dedicate uh, uh, some part of this conversation to those differences. And uh, the other option is uh, those trusted execution environments that require some hardware to provide this uh, secure enclave and this trusted execution environment. And, um, and they also enable to perform confidential computing. Um, if you have some sort of a hardware root of trust, if you have this um, kind of secure enclave or hardware that you can trust to not expose the data to anything else, then by essentially running and executing uh, um, instructions or a program inside those uh, trust execution environments, inside those uh, hardware enclaves, you're essentially able to um, compute over data with a very good performance without compromising the confidentiality of the data. Okay, so basically one definition that I always hear is that we used to encrypt data at motion, we used to encrypt data at rest, and now it's the first time that we are able to encrypt data while we are using it, correct? If this is one of those uh, aspects? Um, yes, it's definitely a crucial aspect. So let's maybe talk a little bit about that. So what does it mean? Um, essentially, um, if we look at uh, kind of data security, there uh, there are three pillars uh, to it. There are three aspects, uh, as you mentioned. Um, first, uh, when you store the data, you want to encrypt it at rest because if the data is not encrypted, somebody can just um, access your storage or um, kind of by breaking into your machine, get access to files and so on and so forth. And uh, we understand the kind of pretty well the attacks uh, um, um, around uh, access to data at rest, and hence we need to encrypt this data. And we know how to do it uh, pretty well today, right? We know how to encrypt data. That's uh, that's kind of a solved problem. Um, the other one is uh, over the network. When you send data over the network, you definitely want it to be encrypted so that somebody who has uh, access to, say, the switching or the routing uh, um, equipment, uh, the internet backbone, uh, basically nation state uh, players, um, they wouldn't be able to access uh, this data while it's in transit. So that's called uh, um, uh, encryption in transit. Um, and we know how to do it extremely well today. It's uh, deployed everywhere in the form of uh, TLS, SSL, or HTTPS. Uh, so that's happening all the time. Yeah. Um, but the problem, uh, basically the missing aspect of uh, um, data encryption uh, until uh, you start using confidential computing is the protection of data in use. So even if the data is encrypted at rest and in motion, at some point you need to process uh, this data, right? You need to do something with it. You need to fetch the data and uh, start doing something with it. Um, and at this uh, point, the data will definitely be exposed um, at the least in memory. So let's assume you read some file that's encrypted or you read some, uh, um, uh, you loaded some database that was encrypted at rest and protected while it was uh, just uh, lying on your uh, um, hard disk or SSD storage. And now you're uh, doing some uh, processing over this data or addressing some queries uh, to this database. Uh, so what happens um, if it's, it wasn't encrypted then, well, 
it wasn't encrypted and you're just processing it. If it was encrypted, you first need to decrypt it to do something with this data. Um, in, that's where the that's where the kind of the troublesome part is. Uh, at this point, you decrypted the data and it's at least available uh, in a decrypted form in memory. So somebody who can access the data in use basically scan your memory, um, whether it's a uh, physical access to your machine or if they broke into your machine and uh, got uh, sufficient privileges to scan your memory um, by placing uh, something like a kernel uh, uh, level. Uh, uh, Trojan or something like that, they would be basically able to um, expose uh, the sensitive data and uh, steal it. So that's that's kind of the problem it's uh, coming to address. So that was the missing piece um, and that this whole, uh, the whole security of uh, this uh, data uh, is predicated on and you need to address this missing piece in order for the data to be secure because without it, it's kind of a house of cards, the cards that uh, start uh, starts falling apart if you get access to uh, the data in use. Okay, so one, uh, one usage of uh, uh, confidential computing is encrypt the data in the memory. And this is usually done by keys that are stored in the enclave. I'm just added another uh, thing, but am I correct? Uh, this is usually how it's done. And the enclave is uh, some kind of a hardware uh, piece that uh, stores the keys on each instance in the cloud that we have, right? So, so there are different architectures. So let's talk about them by essentially picking one of them as an example. And there are some nuances between uh, different architectures, but uh, let's start with one and uh, kind of analyze uh, how it works. And um, uh, what I'll talk about is uh, um, um, it, it probably makes sense to pick uh, Intel uh, Software Guard extensions as an example. Uh, that was, yeah, exactly, Intel SGX, uh, which was, uh, um, uh, which is the Intel uh, Enclave technology. And now there are all kinds of uh, technologies that have uh, some differences compared to that, but that's, that, that will serve us to kind of understand the computation model. So essentially what happens with the Intel SGX is um, that the security boundary becomes the CPU itself, the CPU chip, the processor. Um, at some point to actually process the data, uh, if you're not using those heavy kind of specialized cryptographic techniques like homomorphic encryption, uh, you do need to encrypt the data somewhere. Um, but the question is, where uh, should this data be encrypted? And uh, essentially, the, the design choice Intel made is that they'll protect the data once it leaves the CPU, um, essentially the processor. Uh, everything outside of the CPU is uh, not trusted. Uh, it can be malicious components. Uh, it can be uh, behaving totally adversarially. They don't trust any of the peripheral hardware. They don't even, don't even trust the RAM memory. Um, you only need to trust the CPU that's manufactured by Intel. Um, and basically, the only place where the data would not be encrypted is the CPU caches. So if you're familiar with things like the L1, L2, L3 caches, um, that's the kind of the small amount of memory that uh, enables the CPU to actually do some processing over the data. And then it uses the larger uh, RAM memory to, to actually store it uh, for uh, mm -hmm. um, longer term uh, access. And correct so, me if I'm wrong, this L1, L2, and 3 are very susceptible to a side channel attacks in virtualization, right? Um, 
Uh, I wouldn't say very. Uh, let's talk about that as a as a um, uh, as a separate topic because yeah, there's a lot to say about that, and there's been a lot of work on exploring uh, attacks on the, this technology on Intel SGX in the past years, mm -hmm. and there's also been uh, uh, some mitigations. So. Um, mm -hmm. Let's, let's, I guess, uh, kind of finish uh, describing how Intel SGX works, and then uh, mm -hmm. let's talk about those uh, attacks. Um, so what essentially happens um, is uh, that uh, the data is encrypted um, by the CPU before it leaves the CPU caches. So uh, what Intel did is they essentially placed uh, what's called an MEE, a memory encryption engine, inside of the CPU. Um, and you can tell it to encrypt certain uh, chunks of data that belong to an enclave. Um, what you basically do when you start an enclave, you mark a certain memory region as an enclave, and you say from this address to, uh, to this address, that's an enclave. And whatever data is uh, created there or uh, um, is uh, written from those addresses uh, should be encrypted. And vice versa, if you read something into those addresses, it has to be decrypted first. So when the data that belongs to this enclave will uh, leave the spew caches into the RAM, it would be encrypted by this uh, memory encryption engine. And if something is outside of the enclave, it won't be encrypted. And that, uh, that essentially guarantees that uh, even when the data is stored in the RAM and somebody tries to either uh, kind of read it for, um, by um, um, accessing the physical memory as a kernel driver or something like that, or if somebody even places a tap, places uh, some oscilloscope on the bus between on the memory bus between the CPU and this uh, RAM memory, they wouldn't be able to extract anything anything useful from uh, uh, this information because the data is already encrypted by this engine. Mm -hmm. Okay, so one usage is encrypted the data in memory. That's uh, uh, one thing. Another examples of what we can do with confidential computing. Um, yeah, so um, I guess be, uh, maybe before diving into specific examples, mm -hmm. um, we kind of skipped ahead, and it's worth talking about uh, why this is a why why is it really a useful technology. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what kind of drove the adoption of confidential computing and uh, trust execution environments? And that's something, that's something that was understood for a pretty long time um, as a need. And it also drives, uh, drive, uh, drives the development of the cryptographic techniques around that. Um, it's essentially the move to the cloud and to outsource the infrastructures. So uh, nowadays, um, and actually, in the early days of computing as well, uh, there used to be uh, pretty thin terminals that would uh, access a mainframe, and most of the computations would be done on these uh, large, expensive computers. And then we shifted to personal computers, but then we kind of shifted back to the cloud uh, and using it. So there was sort of a, a cycle. Um, so with the move to the cloud, essentially, you want to outsource uh, data storage and uh, heavy computations uh, to the those uh, servers that uh, belong to somebody else, right? Uh, there's no cloud, it's just somebody else's computer and they have access to it. So by having a physical and administrative access to those machines, uh, the cloud, cloud providers uh, normally have access to your data. And uh, while they can try to convince us that operationally they have all those controls and uh, protocols where employees shouldn't access the data, mm -hmm. it's not a technical guarantee, right? You can only trust it so much. I can only trust them to do the work, but I cannot really uh, guarantee this. Right, you, you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they can do their best 
effort, uh, and I'm sure they're doing, but it's not something that uh, uh, they can provide a hard guarantee around. So mm -hmm. uh, there, there was a technical gap, and uh, there, there is a need to solve that uh, technically uh, in a way that's uh, that's kind of bulletproof. Um, so uh, essentially, that uh, introduced the need for confidential computing, where you can outsource your uh, data or the computation over this data to somebody else who actually has physical access, uh, full access to your machine um, and still um, be able to ensure that uh, they cannot access uh, uh, the information you're uh, uh, putting in their hands. So that's, that's the use case for confidential computing. Mm -hmm. um, there are additional use cases actually. And uh, looking at Intel's GX, it actually uh, started with those um, um, use cases uh, that kind of go in the other direction. There are use cases for um, um, the cloud infrastructure, outsourcing, giving something to you uh, as an owner of a personal uh, computer, of a PC, a desktop machine, or a laptop, and making sure that's not exposed. So one use case is DRM. For instance, uh, if I, as some media company like Apple, uh, I don't know, Spotify, whatever, uh, can, I want to sell you some movie or something like that or uh, some song, right? Um, and I want to only make sure that you play it, um, you enjoy it, but you don't copy this file, give it to your friends, and that's how uh, uh, you know uh, this music is distributed um, uh, without kind of collecting the payments for it. The like royalties, iTunes right? and, the, and DRM, like DRM in iTunes. Um, exactly. So if you have some way to essentially send this information, send, uh, say, an encoded and encrypted file, um, and uh, have my computer kind of decrypted, play it, but never kind of store it in the clear, not even in the, uh, basically in the, some memory I can access, um, then it's a good, uh, it potentially, it's potentially a good way to protect this data. Um, and uh, looking at the small enclaves uh, Intel created initially, which were kind of on the um, order of uh, like uh, 100 uh, megabytes, uh, it kind of suggests that maybe that was uh, the initial use case in mind, at least with the Intel SGX platform. Um, I don't know for sure, um, but it definitely wasn't uh, sufficient for uh, kind of enclaves uh, for data centers. Um, and later on, they kind of realized that uh, there's a compelling uh, uh, use case for bigger enclaves, uh, for uh, using enclaves as part of the, the cloud and the data center uh, computations and uh, they increase the enclaves. Um, and that's probably the more common use case uh, people are looking into nowadays, but initially it uh, started, uh, uh, I think, with those uh, DRM-oriented uh, use cases. Okay, so uh, that's another scenario. Let's uh, let, let's take another scenario. See if it fits. Let's say, for instance, I got some kind of a vault virtual machine uh, for a vault for keeping my secrets, like HashiCorp or whatever, CyberRack, whatever. So it's a virtual machine. It's storing all my secrets. With that, I can access every uh, every software component or every piece of infrastructure that I have. How can I use confidential computing in order to protect it? Um, it's it's a great question because it's actually one of the first uh, use cases we tackled as a company. Yeah, um, in your website. Yeah, it's, it's not that. I'm yeah. not a yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. So so it's so it's a great it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, so so definitely in, in terms of uh, kind of specific uh, use cases for uh, protecting data, uh, there 
all kinds of data. And some data is more important and uh, sensitive than uh, other data, right? Um, so probably uh, some of the most uh, sensitive pieces of data, as you mentioned, is the uh, cryptographic keys and uh, secrets, uh, such as uh, credentials, uh, API tokens, uh, things that can enable an attacker to laterally move uh, in uh, inside your infrastructure and access more pieces if they got the access, if they manage to compromise uh, this uh, secret storage and uh, get access to all those uh, uh, sensitive pieces. It's basically like gold mine. This key management or key secrets management solution it becomes basically a gold mine uh, for an attacker. Um, so instead of kind of working around the infrastructure and collecting useful pieces of data one by one. They essentially have this one piece they need to break, get access to all the keys, and then they're good. Um, so it makes a lot of sense to protect those uh, things. And the, the issue there is uh, that even if those solutions um, uh, try to kind of employ traditional means for protecting those secrets, such as encrypting them at rest in the storage, um, uh, it still can be compromised uh, through the access to memory. So for instance, if uh, we're talking about something like HashiCorp Vault, it actually takes an, an extra step. Uh, it, it encrypts the data using something called the master uh, secret key. And even when it loads the secrets into the memory, they're um, normally encrypted. Uh, except when you actually need to read the secret. So say I'm an, a user of Vault, I'm accessing it through the API and I'm requesting some secret. Uh, it would decrypt it first using this master secret key and then it would uh, send, it, uh, send it over to the client. Uh, so at this point where the secret is decrypted, I as an attacker can dump the memory of Vault and uh, get access to the secret. Um, and essentially one of the first things uh, we were doing, we were uh, taking Vault as is taking this uh, whole uh, secrets management solution and running it inside the secure enclave and protecting the memory such that even if somebody has physical access or a complete root access to the Linux machine that's, or whatever machine that's running Vault, uh, they won't be able to compromise the master secret key and through that, the rest of the secrets. Yeah, so basically bottom line, uh, an episode before you, we talked about an attack scenario where the attacker get access to the uh, to the EBS, to the elastic block storage of a vault, and he simply cloned it, uh, snapshot the, the vault, and then he uh, in, and then he launched it uh, on the environment and got access to all the keys. So in this scenario, he, he, he might uh, able to snap it, to snap uh, the uh, snapshot the image, but he will not be able to load it at any other uh, device. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the data would essentially be be useless. A couple of years ago, I also saw something from NIST um, about the use case of, of using confidential computing. They didn't call it confidential computing back then. It was uh, more like a trusted uh, execution environment of geofencing applications, like making sure that they are not leave certain environment or certain geographic location. Also a scenario that you see in the market? Uh, we definitely see it as a scenario. Um... It's uh, there is a certain uh, legal question that's uh, that is for lawyers and uh, uh, regulators uh, to answer. Um, so um, uh, the question of the fencing, I, I guess, uh, and it, it has uh, all kind of forms, right? We have uh, the GDPR regulation that, uh, in some cases, uh, postulates mm -hmm. that uh, data cannot leave, say, Europe for uh, processing by third parties in, uh, in another geography. Um, and it's an interesting question, what does it mean for data to leave a certain region? Uh, for instance, if it leaves uh, the region in an encrypted form, or if it's encrypted end-to-end, -end, it's, en it's encrypted all, uh, all the way um, and, never, and can never be compromised, 
uh, does it count as the data live in the region? The lawyers um, will give you a different answer, but I think the answer is obvious because uh, one of the guidelines in GDPR is saying that uh, if you lose your backup that is encrypted, but you don't lose the key, so you don't have to report to the regulator. So from that, technically, I'm saying, okay, so that means that encrypted data, as long as you don't expose the key, is not private data. Uh, super interesting. That, that's actually an interesting piece because I wasn't aware of this uh, nuance in, in the regulation. Uh, yeah. um, I guess another example is also network encryption, because if you use something like a TLS connection between your two machines in Europe, the data can be routed through... Um, through the US or through some other country, right? Um, you don't know how exactly packets uh, go over the internet. So if that's sufficient and uh, counts as a good enough protection for uh, data in transit, I guess that can also be applied to data in use. Okay. Uh, I'll direct you to this NIST uh, proof of concept that I showed you. It's a, it's a very specific scenario just to make sure that uh, basically that, that the application doesn't leave a specific uh, you know, data center. You can take it to your fencing and stuff like this. Um, can you give us a couple of words? I, I know that AWS has their Nitro and um, Azure has confidential computing. Not sure what uh, Google has. Can you give us a couple of words between how, the, how different they are in implementing this? Um, uh, definitely. So, um, uh, so as I mentioned, there are uh, some differences uh, between the different technologies in the technologies in the space. So, what Azure uh, uses uh, nowadays, uh, they use Intel SGX. They essentially onboarded uh, um, a lot of instances, uh, a lot of servers that support uh, the Intel uh, Software Guard extensions technology. Um, and they're enabling you to, to use Intel SGX enclaves. Um, and what uh, Amazon provided is something called the uh, Amazon Nitro enclaves. So um, they have this general Nitro infrastructure, which is kind of a, um, a next-gen virtualization infrastructure with um, a lot of uh, emulation of different uh, peripherals uh, that introduces uh, encryption, um, guaranteed performance, and uh, better resource allocation. Um, and um, at some point, they uh, essentially wanted to provide this uh, protection for uh, data and use and provide some uh, guarantees uh, and protections against uh, certain attacks, like uh, somebody compromising an EC2 instance and getting access to, to the data. Um, and uh, what they did, they essentially uh, provided uh, these things, the, this uh, thing called the Nitro Enclave, that's, that's on a technical level, it's an isolated VM. Essentially, um, kind of a virtual machine that their hypervisor uh, spins um, that's uh, isolated in the sense that it doesn't have access to storage or network. It has a very controlled interface to the parent EC2 instance that is uh, that that, sp uh, that spins it. Uh, so that becomes your enclave. Um, but in terms of uh, the trust, it's a bit different than Intel SGX. With the Intel SGX technology, you only need to trust Intel and its manufacturing process. Uh, okay. that this because they manufacture the, the keys, they produce the keys. So I need to um, yeah. yeah, they basically, they manufacture the CPU that uh, um, enforces this isolation on the CPU level um, and also using this uh, entropy that uh, can be used to derive uh, encryption keys. Mm -hmm. um, with the Amazon Nitro enclaves, uh, you need to trust uh, their infrastructure to some extent. 
Basically, I uh, need to trust that their uh, hypervisor uh, works correctly and enforces this isolation correctly and is not used to compromise the enclave. Um, and there's this certain amount of trust in the, their uh, infrastructure and that uh, the fact that it's secure. Okay, so do you have a solution if someone is saying that, okay, I don't trust AWS, I don't trust the Nitro, what, uh, how they should implement? Um, so the, yeah, then at this point they have uh, uh, they'll have a hard time uh, on uh, Amazon specifically. Yeah. Uh, essentially, they'll need a real uh, hardware enclave for that. Um, so personally, I hope that uh, Amazon will provide uh, multiple options, uh, and in addition to Nitro enclaves, uh, that they would also enable access to things like Intel Software Guard extensions and AMD's uh, uh, secure encrypted virtualization, and provide those different options uh, to customers to choose from. Okay, we are running out of time because we don't want to make this too long. But uh, actually, this was really uh, intriguing and interesting, and we might, and we still couple of, we still have a couple of questions. So maybe we even do not one more episode. What do you say, Ariel? Yeah, uh, that was uh, I was thinking about when uh, when Yane started to talk and entered to a few points and said there is more, there is more. So I think that uh, we can uh, go deeper in a few uh, in a few topics. I, I wanted to ask uh, again, and maybe it's you answer somewhat, but uh, for maybe the last question, the, 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 the game, the, the power is on the cloud vendors. They can at the end offer you the infrastructure and also some kind of, of solution. But as you said, maybe the, the idea is to allow other, other, other solutions, other products that can help us if we don't you know, trust the vendor to the end. So if, if I can look at the future of this, uh, of this uh, uh, confidential computing, how how we uh, with you 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 see it? To which uh, uh, what are the the key points that uh, we should look as you know as a, a person that they try to understand the, this uh, this topic? Um, so I think one of the things that's uh, worth understanding in uh, this space is. Um, um, the different uh, the differences between uh, uh, first of all confidential uh, um, computing uh, that's provided by enclaves and trusted execution environments versus uh, what's provided by cryptographic techniques and in particular uh, homomorphic encryption. Um, so the cryptographic techniques uh, are theoretically very promising. They would essentially enable uh, to do all kind of uh, outsourced computations uh, without relying on any vendor or uh, hardware. Um, but uh, to some extent, there's a there's a need for a theoretic breakthrough there uh, to enable uh, to enable uh, the, those techniques to be practical. And maybe that's the future of confidential computing at some point. But um, currently, I don't see it uh, fully happening because of those uh, limitations. That are, they're not even engineering limitations; they're uh, actual theoretic uh, um, uh, limitations at this point that require some. Uh, some better solution. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of the future of the space, I, I, uh, I, I basically, um, I, 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 see, I see it going towards a mix of uh, technologies, uh, essentially people uh, using uh, different technologies on different clouds, different uh, trusted execution environments, and uh, um, also potentially using uh, uh, homomorphic encryption for certain use cases uh, uh, that are uh, practical nowadays with the um, those techniques and uh, creating interoperability between them, essentially enabling to different technologies and different enclaves uh, to talk to one another um, and uh, yeah, enable to kind of 
the data to um, uh, to pass uh, between those uh, different solutions in a transparent way. Um, and essentially, in, in terms of uh, what our company is doing, we essentially uh, provide a cross-platform solution uh, that focuses on the hardware enclaves and uh, also on Amazon uh, uh, Nitro enclaves. Um, but we provide a sort of... Um, uh, unified interface that uh, enables the user to consume each technology uh, without kind of going into the details of it and without uh, uh, feeling any difference uh, when they're working on Intel SGX compared to Amazon Nitro uh, and so on. So we're basically taking a step step uh, forward uh, towards this uh, this kind of vision. Interesting. Okay, so um, thank you very much it was really really interesting um it was it's a very complicated topic and i think that uh, we can dive in later episodes for some of the things that we discussed uh, we'll take this offline and uh, so uh, later on and thank you very much for all your insights uh, good luck for anjuna looking forward to um, seeing you grow and uh, produce more uh, security offering Thank you very much. Thanks, uh, Moshe, and thanks, uh, Ariel. Thanks for uh, hosting me here. If people want to connect you, how they can do it? Um, uh, definitely. So they can, uh, um, first of all, they can uh, see some materials and uh, check them out on our website, www.anjuna.io. Uh, um, welcome to also send me an email to yan, y-a-n, at anjuna.io, uh, or uh, an email to info at anjuna.io, and uh, yeah, we'll take it from, from there. So happy to take questions and uh, yeah, um, explain any anything that, uh, um, that people might uh, ponder uh, about in the context of uh, confidential computing. Perfect. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you very bye. much. Thanks. Thank you to all our listeners. Bye-bye.